This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good evening. So I gave a talk on Wednesday night and I talked about the koan. Um, what were you before your parents were born? And I gave a talk last night and I talked about the koan. Knocking on the coffin, alive or dead. Both of those coins, in a way, challenging us to um, connect to, to drop off preoccupation and experience uh, what's fundamental about our human existence. Classically speaking, I would say they're both instructions about entering the moment so fully that the sense of self is forgotten. The sense, the habitual way of constructing reality uh, is forgotten. And as an abiding state, that's quite a challenge. Hmm? It does seem to require uh, extended periods of dedicated meditation, zazen. But as a theme that's running through our lives, we can start to notice um, because something of the energy of being alive is always being expressed and engaged. And as I was saying last night, in every life there's powerful moments. Usually they're disruptive moments, moments that shake our life. for better and for worse, moments that shake our life in an uncomfortable or painful way. But not always. Sometimes there are moments of um, a deep appreciation of existence that just draws us in. And in that state, whether it's a glimpse or an immersion, that state where the self is forgotten, the world according to me is forgotten, 
in that state there's a different experience of what it is to be alive. And there's a teaching in Buddhism that says, um, in a way, there's two truths. There's the truth we live through the sense of me, the sense of the world according to me, and what I like about it and what I don't like about it, uh, the ways in which it delights me and disappoints me. Um, there's that truth, and then there's a truth of dropping off, forgetting the self, of forgetting the habitual way of thinking and feeling. As a good friend of mine likes to describe it, opening to greater being. Um, someone told me there was a band in Belfast, I think in the 70s, called Big Mind. And uh, the finder of San Francisco Zen Center, he would describe this opening to greater being as big mind. And then he would, or big self. And then he would describe this caught up in our usual way of thinking and feeling about me as small self or small mind. This teaching of two truths, it's not that they're in competition. Uh, from a Zen perspective, the challenge is how do they, one way we could say it is, how do they illuminate each other? No? Someone was telling me this morning, they, they went to a funeral of someone who had uh, committed suicide, 30 years old, left two young children, three years old. Um, moments like that, no, that put our more usual concerns, you know, our, our daily annoyances and preoccupations, put them into a bigger context. And usually it's not so much, aha, now I understand. It's more that um, there's a sense of awe about life. the heartbreak of a 30-year-old committing suicide. Leaving two twin boys behind. The suffering 
that he must have been going through to do such a desperate thing. Part of the stuff of our human life, singularly and collectively. That's the frame of mind, that's the state of mind and heart this person was in. Swallowed up by suffering, afflictive mental and emotional states. How strange it is that we're all capable of that. And how tragic. And how strange it is that we're all capable of seeing a beautiful sunset and forgetting the self. or even just watching a two-year-old, a three-year-old running around and feeling some deep joy in the exuberance of life. And then we can say, the challenge of our practice is to hold both of these worlds, these ways of being, and let them illuminate each other. Let them instruct us. How does that dropping off and opening to greater being, how does it teach us how to relate to when we're caught up in our own stuff, when we're struggling with it, when our mind is caught in, I'm right and you're wrong. I know my opinion is the opinion and someone who disagrees with me is wrong. How does this opening to greater being inform us and let us have a sensibility around that small mind, that mind that's narrow, that's rigid? How do we hold it not with self-rebuke, but as just what can happen to a human being. Should we hate someone for committing suicide? I think it's a relief that something in us is much more inclined to be
be heartbroken. You know? Much more inclined to tune in to the part of ourselves that struggles. To have compassion for it. So these two inform each other. They can illuminate each other. They can support each other. The workings of the self and what we might call the workings of the no-self. And then there's a Buddhist teaching that says um, each of these represents a realm of being. The self, the no-self, and the interplay of the two. The self is the nirmanakaya, the way it is to be alive. The no-self is the dharmakaya, going beyond uh, the constructs that we impose upon this great flux of being that's much vaster and complex than we can comprehend. And then the interplay, the sambhogakaya, um, So tonight's case, case 98 of the Book of Serenity, the Shoyuroku. And the Greek teacher Dongshan is asked by a monk, and he says, of these three realms, teacher, which one do you abide in? No? Maybe we think a great teacher like that would never be in the realm of the self. Maybe he would abide in the vast freedom of the Dharmakaya. But is he living a life, if that's the case? And how does he relate to others? Can he hold in his arms the grief-stricken widow whose husband has committed suicide? So it's a powerful question. You know? Of these three realms of being, which do you live in? And maybe we say, well, of course, it's all about the interplay between the two. Uh, Dongshan's answer was, I always stay close to the question. No. What's happening now? Big mind, small mind, 
big mind, illuminating small mind. The intensity of small mind cracking open into greater being. I always stay close to the question. So the great challenge of the Zen way is, uh, you know, in some ways it would be simple to think. I know the answer as to what should happen and I just have to determinedly make it, live it, make it happen, live it, you know? But the Zen way says, this life, singularly and collectively, is always the product of an interplay of forces, you know? Any single day, we don't know what's going to happen. But even though that's the case, still that day is there to be lived. And how can you not live it in the body that you are? How can you not live it with the mind and heart and psychological inclinations and emotional patterns that you are? From Zen perspective, this is the great koan, the koan of being alive, the Genjo koan. And from the Zen perspective, every single person is engaged in it. That's what we're doing. And in the midst of that koan, um, not just this great inquiry, but what supports the inquiry, you know? A great uh, Thai teacher said, Cha. He says, I only have two instructions. When the student's veering off to the left, I say, go right. When the student's veering off to the right, I say, go left. When the student's veering off into getting caught up in the self, I say, no self. When the student's trying to not be a self and just abide in the ethereal existence of no-self, I say, self. No.
sounds so simple. And yet, when we attend closely, even to our own mind, in Zazen, we see the complexity of consciousness. We see the complexity of what it creates when we relate to others, you know? Someone was talking to me today and they were saying, well, I've been meditating for many, many years. And then recently, this great ball of fear Now what? How do we meet this koan of life? No. As I ended up last night, I was saying, well, practically speaking, we could say, well, be diligent, patient, and compassionate to the person you are and the person everybody else is. And maybe we could add, be diligent and patient, patient and compassionate when you're not those things. You know? As Dongshan says, stay close. I like to offer, what's happening now? If Achan Cha was addressing you now, would he be saying, turn right, turn left, hold still, dare to take a step forward? So I talked to this person about fear, no? And um, what if we're too afraid to stand still and too afraid to take a step forward? Or what if we're too angry to stand still or too mistrusting to step forward? the intensity of being a human being energizes the koan. If it's related to in a certain way. If we can start to see it if we can start to recognize it, you know, 
it's like how do we reference the moment arising this is a disaster this is a big disappointment this is too much can we say um, this is what it is my response to it is what it is now what can a human being do that I think sometimes we can and sometimes um, that simple acknowledgement feels elusive or we simply forget it's like the intensity of the moment owns us and we can't see that we are part of the creation of the moment you know in a way the moment is what it is and then out of our conditioned being we say wonderful terrible frightening delightful um, in a way we can say Is it our patterned existence, those thoughts and feelings that we have habituated? Is that reality? And then these moments of awakening, greater being, dropping off the self, these are mere interruptions of reality. Or can we say, greater being is reality? And this workings of the self is a variation. It's one aspect of it. And everybody's acting out their version of that. Sometimes in the spiritual world, the question we're confronted with is, where do you place your trust? In Old English, where do you plight your troth? Your truth. Do you trust the process of awakening? Or maybe more practically, how do we discover, how do we create a trust in the process of awakening, the process of awareness? Hmm? In Zen, Zen is quite straightforward about it. It says, by doing it, by living it, each day, each situation, 
course the self arises. Is that going to be the end of the story? Or is that going to be the beginning of what's next? What's happening now? Now what? Notice it, acknowledge it, experience it. And step forward into the koan of life. Now what? In Suzuki Roshi, the founder of San Francisco Zen Center, he says, Beginning's mind. Now what? It's like we earn our own trust. There's a way in which when we stay stuck, something in us doesn't quite trust that way of being. Someone said to me recently, he's a body worker. And he said, he noticed he was working on someone. And he did something he, that he recognized that a year ago, he wouldn't have been able to do that. And he's very fortunate because he loves body work. It's his passion. And he said, it was very helpful to realize he was still learning, that he was still discovering what it is he's doing. Seems to me that's the the attitude of beginner's mind. Still learning, still discovering. You know? And as we watch ourselves discover, I would say we trust that. Oh. You know? And from that place of trust, um, our demands to be convince ourselves we're right. Our demands to convince ourselves we have the answer. Sort of lose their urgency and the necessity to feel and think that way. We start to see that actually to be in learning mode is much more interesting. You know? There was a great Zen teacher and he said, 
an 80-year-old, if I can teach him something, I will. If an 8-year-old can teach me something, I'll try to learn. That wonderful uh, fluidity, curiosity, to let that be the approach. And then somehow, almost as if it's a contradiction, but to bring into our life something of what we might call the habit of practice. No? That, that we bring in activities that draw us close as Dongshan says. But, you know, and that's why cross-legged sitting is so helpful. You can sit down and ask yourself, now, how do you do this again? What, what's the point of this? What is the mode of expression that engages the Genjo Koan? What is the attitude that's in a mode of discovery? What is the form of effort that initiates what's happening now? What is the willingness and trust that brings forth now what? have a process in our life that reminds us, oh yeah, so that when the challenges of life, when the heartbreaks of life come up, instead of just confirming some of our likes and dislikes, they're an illustration. They're a Dharma gate into greater being. We hear about a 30-year-old committing suicide. And even though it breaks our heart, think of the tragedy and the suffering the person went through and the person the, their family left, the friends and family and children left behind that they're all going through. It's our teacher. What is important in a human life? like the monk asking Dongshan, which one of these three ways of being do you live by, teacher? 
And Dongshan says, I stay close to that question. May we all stay close to that question. Thank you.